This is Rating Descending. Where we watch IMDb's Worst 250 so you don't have to. My name is Abigail Ward. And I'm Michelle St. Clair. And this week we watched Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. After six years of keeping our mall safe, Paul Blart has earned a well-deserved vacation. He heads to Las Vegas with his teenage daughter before she heads off to college. But safety never takes a holiday and when Judy calls, Blart answers. Let's watch. <laughs> This might be dated by the time this comes out because it'll come out in like two weeks. But I was looking at all the stuff that happened with the Oscars. Um, what a weird fucking Oscars. Yeah, I didn't watch it at all, but I hear it was really boring more than anything. And it yeah. was on. It was partly virtual, partly in person. So a lot yeah. of people weren't there. A lot of the usual things couldn't occur. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just said it was fucking boring. And then, of course... There was a lot of controversy because Anthony Hopkins unexpectedly won and everyone thought that Chadwick was getting, like, geared to be the winner. Not just... Because they replaced the last category with yeah. Best Actor and not Best Picture, which is really odd. Yeah. It... <laughs> the one year a woman wins Best Picture, like a woman's film wins Best Picture, they yeah. reshuffle <laughs> Like, it's it's crazy that they... Like, for one thing, you should never make the award ceremony not end with best picture that is yeah. the clear thing and also like it's really odd it was a historic win so it would have been a fantastic ending mm. it's it's doubly awful that they swapped that they made it best actor because the they clearly thought it was going to be chadwick boseman winning after also making money off of him by making him an, an nft for chadwick boseman's head yeah and sold it as part of the gift bags um odd but kept like 50 percent of the profits <laughs> So they they made money off of his weird floating head wrapped in gold of this dead guy and then pumped the ceremony around him winning. And then he didn't well, win. He didn't win, and which then of is course, really fucked. Anthony Hopkins wasn't there because A, he's in a high risk for COVID category. Yeah. And B, he's autistic and has said repeatedly he doesn't like award ceremonies. And his agent literally begged the Oscars to let him do it remotely. And they said no. So the the end of it, what the, fuck? the end of the ceremony was Joaquin Phoenix not wanting to do a bit, and then Anthony Hopkins, and then a guy who wasn't there won, and that was it. That was Wait, the end. what was what was the thing with Joaquin Phoenix? Oh, he was the one announcing it, and he didn't want to do what bit? It was just like some fucking uh, bit about sinking into your character, and he was really, really non-committal with it in a really awkward way. It was just like. Something that would have been brushed off in any other scenario, but it made for the most deflating ending possible. What the fuck? So weird. That sounds awful. I, I'm really glad I didn't watch it. Also, I didn't know that Anthony Hopkins was autistic. Yeah. At all. He he said a few years... I think it was a I feel few like it's years quite ago. it's common for older people to, like, admit to it, in a way. Or I get publicly that. announce it, rather. It's, it reminded me of how Gary Newman uh, realised he was autistic. Yeah. Uh, like... Because he just on, really like loved being in now. his car. He feels safest of all. He can lock all his doors and it's the only way to live. But yeah, Anthony Hopkins mentioned it like five years ago, I think, maybe less. Um, no way. Yeah, and he was like, that makes sense. And he, all he does now, he just like paints in his studio and he makes TikToks that are largely like him just vibing. Did it's good Really? Shit. Yeah, it's really great. I He's saw... The, the first TikTok star to win an Oscar. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I am... Um, 
I saw a really good patooter. Like, this is never a good, like, thing to bring up in conversation. It's never interesting when someone says, I saw a really funny patooter advocate sure, article. Sure, but we have the power of editing. Yeah. No, but this is so funny. <laughs> Keep it. it was I just a, am the master of this podcast. Oh, I'm at your mercy. I've got to make it really um, funny. <gasps> Here's a here's nah, a patu- I'm here's a I'm rating descending. Ah! <laughs> you are forbidden from entry. I'll I cut s- in you saying like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do a funny. Michelle is fantastic. <laughs> 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 Mr. Michelle is a stinky beauty. <laughs> She's gorgeous. <laughs> the article was just that <laughs> it's like does this make it better? Says quivering Academy Award CEO. And it's the photo is them holding Anthony Hopkins' behead, like beheaded head. Yeah. It's so good. I hate the idea that anyone would be mad at Anthony Hopkins, though. He didn't do anything. He's a little baby. He didn't do anything. He's just a guy who won. Like, he didn't choose it. He, he was just in a movie. I don't know why, but I always put Anthony Hopkins and Dennis Hopper into, like, this weird same category. And I think it's just that they look similar. I think that's it. Dennis Hopper is very different in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's a weird iconoclast from the 60, late 60s, early 70s who just turned into the guy in Super Mario Bros. Well, because Dennis Hopper is so notably terrible, I keep thinking Anthony Hopkins is terrible. But Aww. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. My Except, f- you know, Anthony Hopkins did do blackface for Othello, so he's doxxed oh, and cancelled. I mean, everyone did blackface for Othello. Yeah. You know, this was before racism was bad. But yeah, he did. Everyone that played Othello back in the 50s and 60s did blackface in theatre mm. nonstop, and he did it for a film. That's disappointing. Yeah. It's not... I was going to say, like, I, I, I'm sure he feels bad about it, but it's like whether or not he has, it's also not my place to be the one to forgive him. So, you know, that yeah. that's a shame. Yeah, 100%. It's uncomfortable. It's a series of actors over many, many years doing blackface I on knew, and off screen. I knew Laurence Olivier did. I just didn't mm. know. Mm, that's a, that's, so many actors have done it. That's a real That's downer. why Kenneth Branagh's Othello, big relief, it was Lawrence Fishburne showing yeah. up. You're like, woof. <laughs> oh, black people have black skin. You know, if even if Kenneth Branagh's onto something, you know it's fucked. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's rare <laughs> that Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh is the one who gets it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's wild, though, that it took them that long to go, oh, if we want someone to represent this black character, we should probably cast a black person. Yeah, but that would put them in, like, you know, like, jobs and, and like, roles of power. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you understand what this other actor is for. so good. That's like saying that a trans person should play a trans character. Whoa, it's just whoa, banana- whoa. All right, hey. exactly. You know what I mean? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. You see, because they're, they're not allowed to play cis people either, and they just don't have that many credits. And they're just like, kind of like, don't you think they're like special snowflakes? You know what I mean? Just doing things for yeah, attention. Just, oh Can't even go with the bit. Um, it's acting, right? And that means they should be able to do anything they want, no matter the historical or social context. And I've seen the Danish girl, so I get it. Like, I get oh, what it's about. Don't fucking... Like, I get it. Oh. Speaking of getting it... <laughs> Because I didn't. Love the pivot. <laughs> Paul Blart, more cop, duh. Uh, back in the habit. <laughs> <laughs> the squeakle. Yeah. <laughs> um, C- call of the wild? What was the... Is what we watched this week. Yeah. And didn't we just Man, watch it with so- our eyes? I want it known we watched Paul Blart Mall Cup 1 for the first time because I was really upset and you said what what I wanted to do that would make me feel comforted. 
And I said, you know what makes me feel better than anything else is watching a bad movie and having some ice cream. So yeah. we ordered in some ice cream and I saw Paul Blart Mall Cup was on Netflix and I was like, let's watch and this. And did it make you feel better? <laughs> it really, we watched that and now you see me too. Yeah, that's right. That was a good night. <laughs> what a great time. Uh, uh, side note, um, now you see me too is an absolute train wreck and I hated it. Um, I, yeah. But it was hysterical. I would watch it again and again. Paul Blart Mall Cup 1 is just sad more than anything. It's actually more sad than it is funny. Yeah, because it's about a mediocre man, you know? Yeah. Being misunderstood by the people around him. Also, it really confirms, and this movie reconfirms it, but I'd argue less so than Paul Blackmore Cup 1. Uh, no one hates fat people more than Kevin James. I was going to say, this is what I was actually chatting about yesterday. I know he's writing the jokes, but it doesn't mean it's not fat phobia. Just because yeah. he's a fat man writing fat folks, fat jokes doesn't mean he can actually, like... That he's allowed to make those jokes. He's the kid in primary school and high school who, to escape being bullied for being fat, decided to make fun of it. And he never stopped being that kid who thought he had to make fun of being fat. That's the thing. He's not really making fun of just himself being fat. He seems to just be more making fun of the notion of being fat. That's where it gets worrisome. He's not the only target of his hatred of fat people. Yeah, 100%. The first one in particular makes a lot of jokes about fat people at malls and people that drink too many slushies. And it's not just about Paul anymore. It's about everyone else that's fat. Yeah. There's a lot of jokes about him being fat and other characters being fat. Um, and he, he, yeah, he paints a broad brush with it. There's, it's less direct in this one, I feel, but it's still very heavy on the fat. I'm sure his writer's room, cause I mean, come on, he didn't sit down and fucking write this. Uh, I'm sure his writer's room at some times were like, Hey Kev, we could maybe cut some of these jokes. And he was like, no, 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 no. I, it's going to be good. If we have someone describe me as chunky and disgusting, and then I do a weird face at them and fall over. They'll get it. It was written by Kevin James, because the first one was, and another guy called Nick Bacay. Oh, uh, the voice of Salem from Sabrina the Teenage yeah. Witch. how did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> He's the voice of Salem, and he was also um, Norbert Beaver on the Angry Beavers. He was Norbert. He was Norbert. That's why Norbert's voice oh, is always Norb. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Angry Beavers. That is genuinely a song I sing all the time. One of my favorite theme songs. Yeah. Yeah, I put it on par with Spanish Flea. You know, like they've got similar vibes. Similar vibe, I would say, yeah. No, but like it was written by him and Nick Bacay and like it was probably just them going back and forth being like, you're fat, so let's make a joke out <laughs> yeah. of that somehow. Nick's like, well, you're fat. Can we run with that? And Kev's like, oh, absolutely. That's we my should one say stick. I'm fat. We should say my daughter's fat. Yeah. Uh, we should say We that- should make jokes about how fat people aren't lovable. <laughs> yeah. It'll go down a hit. That'll get him. That'll get him. <laughs> That'll get him. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fat phobia in this. There's also like a lot of like, just straight up misogyny. And Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially because he loves to write very pretty women that he would never have a chance with and how they're obsessed with him. He he definitely, and I feel like he would make a fat phobic joke about it, but I'm not going to stoop that low. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. In that he wants the audience to think that he's disgusting because he's fat and also consistently uh, incredibly attractive women find him hot. Yeah. And then also he wants to be like, fat positive about the daughter character who is presented as smart and intelligent and and uh pretty to boys um and then also 
he doesn't treat her very nicely. Like, no. it's so weird. I just love, again, that this man is manufacturing a storyline where beautiful, smart, intelligent women are fawning over this very mediocre man. Yeah. What's new? He basically gaslights her into... Being into him. (laughs) Yeah. She's she's not not into into him him. until he keeps insisting it. Yeah, and he's like, please, back up. And she's like, that weird man thinks I'm flirting with him. And then throughout the movie, she's like, fuck, I'm really into him. And at the end, she's like, I want to be with you. And he's like, no, you don't. You want to be with Eduardo, the other really hot. He just negs her into falling in love with him and then leaves her. (laughs) And she's like, thank you, Paul, and kisses him for the emotional trauma she's just experienced (laughs) via Paul Blart. Yeah. And again, I'm like, I think she should have been paid a bonus for that kissing scene, man. Mm. They're probably like, we'll add another 20 grand if you just kiss him on the cheek. And she's like, oh, fine. Yeah. I'll take that hit. Before we move on to the overview, I want to say, like, in some ways, kind of more enjoyable than PBMC1. Wow, you're <laughs> abbreviating it. <laughs> oh, you're that's in such we're familiar at. terms. I'm very familiar. <laughs> I don't know. I found it worse than I, the first I one. I think it's a worse movie, but I, I had a better it, time. <laughs> I, I think I had a better time with the first one somehow. <laughs> this one just devastated me in every way. I'll give you the overview. Yes, please. And by the way, in the first film, just as a brief overview, Paul Blart is a mall cop. He has a daughter. What? I know. that He falls in love with a woman who works at a wig stand called Amy. And then the place is raided by robbers and he defeats them all and Amy falls in love with him and they end up getting married at the, fir- at the end of the first one. But in a very clear straight rip of Die Hard. Yeah. It's Die Hard in a mall. It's not even, it's neither subtle enough to be a, a play on it, nor is it parodial enough to be an actual parody that's it paul blatt's wife amy divorces him six days after their wedding his mother is run over and killed one day blatt receives an invitation to a security officer convention in las vegas his daughter maya discovers she was accepted into ucla which she keeps from him arriving at the hotel in las vegas Blatt is informed he'll likely be the keynote speaker due to his past heroic acts. He finds out Maya got into UCLA and becomes overly protective. Meanwhile, a gang of criminals secretly plot to steal priceless works of art and replace them with replicas. Blatt gives his speech, but Maya is missing. She inadvertently became a witness to the criminal gang's crimes and is now a hostage. Blatt learns of the situation and rushes to help. With the backup of several other guards, Blatt pursues the crims and takes them down non-lethally. Later on, he accepts Maya's need to move on with her life and drops her off at UCLA, finally understanding what it's like to be truly alone. Nice. That was a pretty succinct summary. Yeah, I got straight to it. (laughs) You really did. I love how at the beginning, they really do just go like, oh yeah, that romantic interest in the first one, they divorced in six days. And it was absolutely because that chick went on to do Glee and they couldn't get her back. Yeah, they they mention, I think his voiceover mentions that she was found vomiting at the idea of being married to him. (laughs) Then the mum gets run over by a milk truck. It's genuinely quite sad. A character later, I think the security guard says, like, does anyone love you? Which is really mean. Yeah. I Okay, I, had, I found some odd trivia about this, and I yeah. haven't delved into it too deeply because I couldn't find enough information. <laughs> but in an initial draft, it really became about Paul Blatt's, like, 
emotional state and like <laughs> it gets really grim <laughs> yeah but there is a lot of like sad elements to this of them being like you're all alone blot and like all of the people in your life leave you it's really about paul blot's inadequacy with women because his mom dies his wife leaves him now his daughter is going to ucla no one stays with it's him movie, he's always alone it's a movie about grief about moving on <laughs> finding your own place in the world it is you know in the first one he gets given the opportunity to live his dream and be a cop and he says no to go back to his wife and mother and daughter but then all of those people leave him and this movie yeah he i I don't know what state he ends in that's positive really no it's it's so (laughs) so wild it's so sad it's it it is a deeply deeply sad movie i also want to mention full disclosure i'm a huge fan of till death do us blot the podcast of uh, the guys behind Worst Idea of All Time podcast and the McElroy brothers, where they, every Thanksgiving, watch Paul Blart Mall Cup. Yeah. Except last year, they also did a bonus episode because of the pandemic of doing the f- first one. I tried yeah, really so hard. Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery. Yes. They were, they're the hosts of The Worst Idea of All Time. And, and The Worst Idea of All Time feels like such a parallel to this podcast because yeah. they've done things like Sex, Sex in the City 2. Yeah. Um, they also, like, their podcast is also hinged around bad movies. But yeah, in 2015, they formed the podcast Till Death Do Us Blot with the McElroy brothers. It is. And they do it every Thanksgiving. It is a genuine comfort podcast of mine. I tried really hard, though, to not listen to it anytime near this episode so that my commentary wouldn't be colored by theirs. I know. I wanted to listen to their episodes about it, but I was like, it will literally, all I want to do is repeat the very funny things that they say. Yeah. And, and you know, they're very successful in their comedy career. Yeah. <laughs> and we're and not. Look, we're so. not quite at the same stage as the McElroy brothers yet. We're close, but I think, no cigar. Yeah. We also have a podcast, but they have we like do. eight or something between right, right, right. Yeah. and then i'm sure they've got like a couple more listeners than us maybe like one or two not that many more not right? many more yeah i think if we you, could do live shows we just choose not if to. you made it like we have like 20 to 30 listeners but if you made it a factorial then you know that's only one digit off nice <laughs> right that's it um I don't know enough about how factorials work. That's probably outrageously large number. They're kind of like big warehouses where things are made oh. and pumped out and distributed. Yeah, and doesn't it's very Tesla, Dickensian. Uh, by owned by Lex Luthor have the Giga Factorial? Yeah, yeah, that's it, one hundred percent. It's also increments that are smaller within bigger increments. Oh. So when you're going down, it's a factorial of another factorial. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I believe yeah. it is. That's a, that's as opposed to a square root, which is where you multiply it by itself. Yes. Yeah. Neat. Mathematics. Math. Let's talk about Kevin James. Sure. Why not? I hate him. I hate. Yeah, I hate him too. I'm not a fan. I don't think he's ever been funny to me. No, he's not likable. He, he's just not. He's got that. He's got the King of Queens. Yeah, which was not funny. No, it had his like wife played by Leah Remy Re- Remini. Leah Remini. Leah Ramini. I think it's Remini. Fuck. Who knows? Americans insist on pronouncing every name differently than it would be pronounced in its native language. I've seen one episode of The King of Queens, and it's really just about a a really bad husband who isn't present enough for his family. Yeah, he's surrounded by all these women in Queens. I found out Kevin James is a very close friend of Ray Romano, which is... It checks out because they made the same show. Just one was about Italians, and the other was kind of also still kind of about Italians. Ah. I hate my wife. Deborah. Divorce. Make me lasagna. I think 
a lot the 90s sitcom machine was broken once divorce became more popular because <laughs> <laughs> men couldn't make jokes about hating their wives well, anymore because yeah, they'd already up and left them you can't make a show now about how a man just hates his wife because we would just go get divorced yeah no his wife would divorce him first for sure yes. one would hope i remember distinctly telling my mom when i was when i was a little girl watching tv that I told her I didn't like Everybody Loves Raymond because it was so upsetting. Like, as a tr- because there's they were just thing. angry. It's, there's literally an episode where it's like Ray is pitting his wife, Deborah, against his mom, Marie, because he found out that if they are competing for his affections, they'll make him more food. So he basically is lying to them, being like, mom said this about you. Yeah. And then he says to his wife, like, Deborah said this about you. And then they both cook for him. And that's the episode. It's him pitting women against each other. And then they find out and he's in big trouble, young man. No sex for you. And he's like, no. His his brother was the only redeeming character, and it's because he was so soft and sweet. He was like, hi, Raymond. Well, we're not even talking I about the right sitcom from the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Back to Kevin James. <laughs> I just have a lot of thoughts about Everyone Loves Raymond and how shit that show yeah. was. But yeah, Kevin James. He's always been, he's one of the many who are uh, in Adam Sandler's shadow. Yeah, incredibly unremarkable man and he made Paul Blart Mall Cop and that was like his baby. That was like his was. big film. Wasn't it like the most profitable uh, Happy Gilmore production at that yeah, point? Yeah, and it, it made like $100 million or over that in yeah. like 2009. It was vastly successful. Yeah, people people loved that Mall Cop, baby. Yeah. No, what? but this film was fucking downright silly. I don't understand... Like, the, the whole plot about this gang of criminals trying to steal artworks to replace them. Yeah. Do they keep real artworks, like Van Gogh? Like, do they keep it well, in hotels in Las Vegas? Do at, they really keep the at, real sunflowers? At first I was like, it's <laughs> wild that they, that they have these things in a hotel. Hotel art is famously bad. But then I remember it's meant to be a really fancy Vegas it hotel. It didn't even where look they that do, nice. They, but, I mean, they're never nice. They're They're... Disgusting, but they wouldn't keep Van Gogh in a hotel. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't keep a Van Gogh in a hotel. It's, That's it's a fucking, wild. It's the sunflowers yeah. as well. It's the That's, Van Gogh. It's, it's the his painting, best known one. <laughs> yeah. So no, I didn't quite believe that storyline, and oh, that kind of tainted the, the rest of the, the film for me. The villains in general were so weird when <laughs> when they're in the presidential suite. And he's, like, looking over at, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the black guy who would fit the archetype of the dragon, you know, like, the main henchman. He, like, pulls out the laptop and then it unfolds into, like, four more laptop screens. Yeah, that was so good. (laughs) And then there's the guy who walks in, the hotel guy who walks in, who is played by, I kept mentally referring to him as uh, muscly David Cross. And he walks in and he's like, hey, what's happening here? You're not allowed to be doing this. And then like tension builds. And then he looks at him and says, that's why we have you. (laughs) (laughs) Why are they doing this? They already know. Yeah. Who are they doing this for? Did you recognize the main criminal with the two differently colored eyes? He looked, yeah, he had heterochromia. He has a real nice voice. He does. And that heterochromia is real. Oh, really? I was joking that his eyes looked really watery the whole time and that his contact lenses were obviously flaring up because it was like his Mm. eyes looked insane. Those are his real eyes. That's cool. They're cool eyes. Yeah. Neil McDonough is his name. Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough has been in a huge amount of things. And yeah, when you see his face, you're just like, yeah, I've seen you around. He was in like fucking Captain America, Band of Brothers. He was Buck. Oh, I never yeah. watched through Band of Brothers. That's what I mostly recognized him from. But I was reading about him and he's like really devoted to his wife. He's been with his wife for ages. That's sweet. And like apparently he refuses to do kissing or sex scenes because of like of his respect for his wife. Oh, uh, that's that's both sweet and weird. Why is it weird? Because I kind of if I kind of get it. 
And that if your spouse was an actor and they had to like consistently like kiss other people, I know it's for a job. Yeah, but but it'd also be like I get why a wife would be like, oh man. But if my partner was a sex worker, I wouldn't be jealous of the people she has sex with. This is true. Like it's if it's part of their job, it's a it's it's an odd thing to be jealous of. Like I I think it would be weirder if the wife was jealous as opposed to him going, I don't want to. Yeah, right? those two. That's why I'm like that's. I feel like it's it's simultaneously sweet and weird. That is nice. I mean, I know that we've had a lot of chats about jealousy recently because yeah. again, I think. Because you're jealous of my massive cans and outrageous success. (laughs) I just think, and I've said this again, I'll go on record saying it now, we keep shaming ourselves for feeling jealous about these things. And I'll say it, if my partner was an actor and they had to kiss and have sex with people, I would get jealous. Even if it's for their job, I just would. Because I'd be Mm. like, man, I like their intimacy and I want all of it. And I hate the idea of it being given to someone else, even as a job. I think there's a distinction. And I think that the thing is, again, like, possessiveness is the action bred out of jealousy. Yeah. You can still have those feelings and work through it. Yeah. Why do we try and pretend we don't have them? What I was going to say is I think you're right in that, like, you're you're allowed to have those feelings. It's just that, like, if you know it's something that is based off of your, I don't know, problems with something, on you needing to unlearn something, you know, like... you don't need to do anything about that. If you can be like, oh, I'm jealous that my partner in this acting performance is kissing someone. Don't do then the 90s sitcom thing of going like, you know, would now, you love I'm them now? go kiss someone. Which is so wow. weird. That's, yeah, you yeah. just talk it through. And obviously these two, this is such a small detail, <laughs> these two talked it through and now he doesn't do it. But uh, he seems but like a real nice guy. In the movie, he struck a weird line between being like, very put together and more professional than Vec, the villain, was in the first one. Yeah. But also, at various points, going, man, I'm crazy. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, I couldn't no tell idea if he was what, enjoying himself or was barely present. Yeah. He Which seemed, was it? He seemed like he was enjoying it, but also maybe stoned out of his mind. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't tell what his deal was. Also, I need to talk about Paul Blart's daughter, Maya, because... Yeah. The woman, the girl that plays her is Rainy Rodriguez, who is okay. the older sister of Manny from Modern Family. I think his name is, I can't remember his name. Is it Manny Rodriguez? You know Manny from Modern Family? No. Sofia Vergara's kid? Oh, oh, oh. She's the yeah, older yeah, yeah. sister of him. I think that's Manny Rodriguez. But oh, her name's cool. Rainy. She, in the first Paul Blart, was a reasonable age for the role. I think she was like 16 and so yeah. was Maya. She looked but like a teen. The first one came out in 2009 and the next one came out in 2015. So six years elapsed. Yeah. So she was 22 by the time she was playing Maya again. Yeah. And hey, she's meant to be a college student, but there's something about Rainy Rodriguez and the way that they styled her in this film where she could have either been 15 or 45 with yeah. three kids. I, I couldn't tell. I, I also like, I, I, I be, you know, people are allowed to have a gap between their high school education and their tertiary education. They don't even need to do tertiary education. A gap should be more encouraged than it is. It's weird that we see it as the natural evolution yeah. when at 18 you're pretty much never at the age to actually receive the information in tertiary education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... In America, they don't tend to do that, and it's never a thing mentioned of, like, she had been trying to get in for years yeah. or she had been taking time off or whatever. I think she's meant to be 18. Right. I think she's meant to have just finished high school. But another character does mention that the events of the first one was five years ago. Wait, okay. So what age was she meant to be in the... F- was she meant to be, like, 13 in the first Maybe one? Maybe she was meant then- to be younger. It's, yeah. It's strange. She probably was. I mean, I, again, I can kind of believe it. I'm like, you could be 12 I think or the, you could be fucking 50. I, I think don't the know. real answer is they just didn't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just 100%. think that's the real answer. But I, I really enjoyed watching this ageless, timeless young lady. Yeah. Well, lady 
roam around claiming she was Paul Blart's daughter. And also, I mean, look, one thing I will say, if anyone was trying hard, it was her. Like, yeah. she she clearly wanted to be there, was, yeah. ha- was trying to... And I think succeeding in some ways. Like, with the lines she was given, not a bad job. Yeah. But she had this weird... D story romance with the character of Lane, who was yeah. the guy from Wizards of Waverly Place. Yeah, and he was also the fucking he was Ted Mosby's kid in How I Met Your Mother. Oh, He's yeah, the kid of on the couch. The, the, the like, beginning of every there. episode. Yeah. <laughs> You're like those kids are imprinted in a lot of people's brains. Um but like and they barely he, did anything. He has no defining attributes whatsoever in this movie. He's just interested in her. You could have replaced him. You could have done the sexy broom test, the sexy lamp test, like uh, he he he's a ghost. He is nothing in this movie. He's a neutral canvas yeah. who exists there. Uh like what other characters is not like a neutral canvas that exists there? Yeah, all of them at least have like one shtick. Saul yeah. Gundamut. Uh Saul Gundamut was a character. Which was a, I think actually a good name. Yeah. Love that character. Gundamut name. was great and also his wife played by Anna Gastia. Uh, yes. She's great. She's, she's really like, good. Um Katie's mom and Mean Girls, just she's, for reference. She's also really fucking funny in Lady Dynamite. Yeah, she's always really fucking funny. And she comes in in this like insane hair, really 80s, lots of sequins and I, sparkles and I gems. always think of her as slightly older and more put together Catherine Hahn. I was going to say she looks so similar to Catherine yeah. Hahn. Not that I think Catherine Hahn is not put together, but Catherine Hahn has a history of playing characters who are like at rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that says about Catherine Hahn. That she's a good actor. She is a good actor. Um, I'm a fan. Also, Lonnie Love was in it. I love Lonnie Love. And she, she was barely present. Second this time what, in She was list. definitely checked out. I think by this point, she probably thought her career would have ascended <laughs> from Salt Plane. Yeah. Not decent. This is the second, let's note this down as the second Lonnie Love film that we've approached so far. <laughs> yeah. This was, this was quite grim for her. Yeah. I actually didn't know if it was Lonnie Love because usually Lonnie Love gives such a funny performance and she's so exuberant. But in this, she was doing a real Donna from Parks and Rec and that she just kind of was unenthused the whole time. Yeah. Didn't want to be the there. The way they styled her and characterized her made me go, could they not get redder? <laughs> because because Lonnie Love is... Both of them are funny women who deserve their place, yeah. but they made Lonnie Love look distinctly less Lonnie Love. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. I had to look up if it was Lonnie Love. I've never had to really look up if something is Lonnie Love before. Um, but all of them had at least, like, one shtick. Uh, Saul Gundamut had... You know, he was really into his sort of gadgety yeah. things. Lonnie Love's character was a black woman, <laughs> which is how they write characters in these movies. Uh, and Lane was present he was there <laughs> he's the, he is absolute like milk toast so, i don't know why he was there because they didn't really let you know if him and maya actually yeah, ended the, up together the like, love story no... doesn't conclude no it's there None... and then we never get a resolution she never even does something that is like they don't even kiss they don't even kiss they don't even do something when they're trying to escape the clutches of yeah. the villains where like oh it's good that you're here so that you can help me do this she does all of it herself it's really which odd i think they think is trope subversion but it doesn't quite land no it's just like not satisfying she, she doesn't do a single thing that re- if you cut him out of the movie the movie's the same movie yeah. you don't need to change a single thing also i need to talk about this right fucking now okay because we need to get to trivia at some point, but okay. I really need to talk about this. I hope it's the same thing I want to talk about because there's one thing I want to talk about before we move on to trivia. I had a, yeah, I had a really, I had a really deep, insightful thought, and it was to do with his vibrating fork. 
Okay. Because I had a whole different thing. But. All right, we'll get to yours in a second. Paul Blatt is notable because it has to be fun and the tone has to be lighthearted, so he can't kill anyone, even though he's directly under attack all the time. Which, and by the a- way, the levels of him being under attack always change because even though they're trying to kill him, some scenes are like, now we've got you, and they fight with their fists and don't yeah. shoot at him with their guns that they have. It's also a strange plot point that he's using non-lethal weapons to hit them, and they seem genuinely knocked out, even if they were hit in the chest into yeah. the water, and then they all come back, and he's like, oh, of course, because it was non-lethal. I'm a screenwriter and a lot of what I think about when I watch films is how ideas are generated and in which which order and how they manufacture things. Do they work backwards? Do they work forwards? What was the central part that they like focus on at the beginning and how do they expand? I was thinking about the vibrating fork because Paul Blart doesn't hurt people, but he uses a lot of ingenious methods to take people down. Such as at the end, he's firing off that thing that is like sludge that traps people. Um, which the guy who describes it at the security convention says, a big sticky mess, yeah. a grenade launcher that shoots glue foam. Yeah. So he traps <laughs> them with glue foam and it's insane. It's actually insane. This 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 is, by the way, the second time a jizzy substance come out of something because <laughs> when he needs, because of his glyco, glycosemia, yeah. which is, by the way, not a condi- it's not a condition, it's a state. And it doesn't really cripple you in the way that he was crippled in that moment. But he needs to have something sweet, so he finds a little girl that's having ice cream, and it's sort of like this cum shot angle. Of it dripping into his mouth and him going... dripping pink jizz onto his face. It was very pornographic. It was so sexual, and I remember afterwards I was like... I got chills down my back watching Kevin James take a cum shot into his mouth. He got pearl necklace by ice cream. Anyway... Back to the vibrating fork. There's a scene where he has to take down a guard and he gets, they set up at the beginning of the film that he has a vibrating fork. So when he overeats, yeah. it will vibrate and stop him. Yeah. Because this film is full of weird little gadgets. And then he's this guy is pursuing him. He gets his vibrating fork and he attaches it to like a bow and he shoots it at the guy and it hits him and it like vibrates him. It like electrocutes him and it stuns him and he hits the floor. I couldn't stop thinking. This fuckhead, what's his name? Nick... Nick Bakai. Nick Bakai. Because it was probably him doing all the legwork. Yeah. What did he think of first? Did he just write in a scene where he's got a vibrating fork because he's too fat and then later he's like, genius, he's going to use the vibrating fork in the scene? Or did he first think of a scene where Paul Blart straps a vibrating fork onto a bow and then shoots it at a guy and then sets it up earlier in the film? I couldn't wrap my head around where this idea came from and which way it worked. Well, you know- either way fucking dumb what what came first the, the electrocuting the fork, fork or the arrow <laughs> or the bow, or the bow. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way it's also a great example of how this movie doesn't quite know what it wants to say about being fat and stuff because yeah. like it's almost like a disability device because it reminds me of like the forks that have motion stabilizers yeah. for people with Parkinson's, the genre of device that um, able-bodied people make fun of for existing, but they're actually useful things for people yeah. with disabilities. Um, in that, like, are they trying to say this is a genuinely helpful thing for Paul, and it's sad because he's fat but doesn't want to be, and he or, can't control himself? Yeah, or is it saying? It's really funny because he's fat, right? Yeah. He's so fat, he needs this stupid fucking device. Like, also, what's the, what is it trying to say? This what's is it a, doing? It's a terrible... It's also... Okay, I know that Kevin James used to be, like, a heavyweight fucking wrestler. Right. Which means that, like, 
he isn't fat necessarily. It seems like you can see Kevin James is, James is a stocky he, man. He's quite agile in he both is. PBMC 1 and 2. He's got fat on him, but he actually looks more stocky than anything. He's got thick wrists and, mm. like, thick legs, and he was just born to be hefty. Yeah. Um, which is bi- my Tinder bio, by the way. Um, I'm not on Tinder anymore, but that used to be my favorite joke. Um, but... I think this film is a terrible representation of fat people and how they eat and how they control themselves and yeah. how they become fat. Because also there's little scenes where like Paul Blatt is eating like one Hershey's chocolate and a bit of ice cream to get his blood sugar back up. And it's like, these things won't really actually make you fat. Yeah. And if you think that these things are problems and that Paul Blatt is bad for eating one little Hershey's chocolate, that is not the cause of obesity and it's not a problem it's anyway. so weird. Like yeah. he talks about how he's fat because of glycosemia, which again... Not a real condition. It's a state you can be in when you're low on blood yeah. sugar. Usually it means you're dizzy and faint. It, it doesn't mean you're crippled. It's similar to the problem in other movies where they want to explain mental illness by via trauma, which is fucked up. Yeah. They're like, let's explain his fatness with disability. Um, and then, but then also like his mom and his daughter are both fat. Um which is a good representation of how it can be like genetic. It can be genetically difficult to lose yeah. weight. It's not a moral thing. Yeah. But 100%. That's it a huge thing to about do obesity. Both. Yeah. It wants to constantly do both. I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I don't understand this movie. Yeah. I wanted to talk about one thing before we move on because I have to, I can't not talk about it because it was the most confusing scene I've ever seen in my life, which is the scene around, roughly around the midpoint, in which he is stressed because he has to give the speech. So he goes off into this like he he goes through a door into what seems like just sort of a garden dimension it is it exists outside of time and space because there is just this open garden with a pianist who says nothing <laughs> and then he sits there and tries to meditate and then this exotic bird comes to him and it the scene turns into this him trying to scare off the bird and then the bird starts attacking him while the the pianist keeps going, the the piano music even like dramatically increases. It's almost like he's like this spectral com- viewer <laughs> who exists solely to play music. Like I said, it's a pocket dimension in which Paul Blart is fighting his insecurities in the form of a fucking peacock. Yeah, it's- he's he's fighting like a little exotic bird. And I remember when that scene ended, I also remarked, I was like, I didn't think that this film wouldn't tell me watching Kevin James beating a bird up. Yeah. And also. Later, he punches an old cleaner right in the stomach and she keels over and she's like, Ugh, don't tell anyone about my arthritis. And I was like, again, he's fighting fucking ex- like exotic yeah. birds and beating up grandmas. That scene, like the rapid cutting, the escalating rapid cutting between him, the bird. A lot of the shots in the scene, by the way, a POV from the yeah. bird looking at Paul Blart trying to scare him off, which is a surreal experience I wasn't expecting in it's this movie. It's hectic and handheld it, yeah, and all too much. It's cutting between them and the guy playing piano. Like, it's so... He never says a word. Later, when someone else gets trapped out there, it's never confirmed whether the pianist is there again. Yeah. But I'd like to think he is. It's it's one of the weirdest scenes, I think, that exists on this whole list. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot. Do you want to hear some trivia? <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear some trivia. IMDb trivia! So I don't have too much because nothing is interesting about this film. But just on that note about the bird, mm-hmm. some fucking nerd entered in on the IMDb trivia section that the bird that attacks Paul Blart is a grey-crowned crane. Oh, so it's a crane. A crane. I assumed it's it was a female leggings. peacock, but that. Yeah, it's it had almost like an emu-like face or like an ostrich-like face more yeah. than anything. This film was not screened in advance 
for critics. Always. Which is always a bad sign. Always a fave of mine when they add that to the trivia. <laughs> That's all my trivia. Oh. <laughs> my other trivia was that the dude has re- like really has heterochromia and it was also about till death us do blood. Till mm. death do us blood. That's all my trivia. Here's some <laughs> reviews. I have lots of reviews because they're really funny. Reviews! Rotten Tomatoes reports that 5% of 60 critics gave the, gave the film a positive review. The website's critics' consensus reads, Bathed in flop sweat and bereft of purpose, Paul Blart Mallcup 2 strings together fat-shaming humour and segue site gags with uniformly unfunny results. <sighs> Christy Lemire of RogerIber.com wrote, Truly there is not a single redeeming moment in director Alan F- Andy Fickman's film. A general flatness and lethargy lethargy permeate these reheated proceedings here's also a review from richard krauss from the website richard krauss years from now when people look up the meaning of the word unnecessary in the dictionary the definition will be the synopsis of paul blart more cop 2 <laughs> i got entranced by the imdb section of reviews yes. because of the podcast till death us do blart Till death do us blot. Till death do us blot. Sorry, it may, it's confusing because the actual vows that you take in a ceremony is till death us do part. I thought it was till death do us part. It's till death us do part. It's That's odd. A, oh. It's the more like archaic saying. Oh, okay. So it's because of that podcast, people know a lot about this film and mm. they love to leave reviews for it. Yeah. But they're all like ironic. I love this film. 10 out of 10. Here's a couple of examples. One is like, these are the titles of a, of a lot of the reviews. And Everyone should go check them out because they're actually so fucking good. Love it. They're things like cinema is saved, saved my life, (laughs) indefinite, no, infinitely amazing, gave new meaning to my life. This movie changed my life for the better. (laughs) Greatest (laughs) film in the history of cinema. (laughs) A misunderstood avant-garde masterpiece. Truly an excellent piece of art. Up there with, this is another (laughs) something. These are all different. This is the last one. Up there with 2001, A Space Odyssey. (laughs) you could argue this movie would probably be lower on this list if it wasn't for Till Death Do Us I know, I was literally thinking that. All these people leaving ironic reviews has really pumped up the rating. <laughs> this is one that I actually want to read out. The It's definitely ironic as well. It's called, it's 10 out of 10. It's called Paul Blot, um, left by Justin Yeager. Molkop, Ball Platt. <laughs> Calm up the movies about R- Paul Ruddy being a mall cop. He does an okay job. Like, it's not as good as Fairfield 2, A Tale of Two Kitties, although they brought Michaela, Jason back. That's pretty cool. I really don't want to write ten lines of this. That's pretty much it. Also, he's the cop of the mall, like the whole damn mall. Do you know how big malls are? Like, this big. I'm holding my arms out really wide to demonstrate it's big, okay? It. Thanks for reading. God bless you. Have a nice. Hot damn. It was so good. I dream of Paul Blot every night. I can hear his galloping moustache in my ear. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I love that this guy talked about how he has a word count. Yeah, like, I can't write 10 lines of this. We've read short reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. 10 out of 10. I love this movie, but my friend made fun of me for it. <laughs> Left by Leo Hashikura Poop. Okay. I watched this with a friend and we both laughed and enjoyed it, but he called me gay behind my back the next day. Sad face. Okay, you know what? I'm on this guy's side. Your friend shouldn't be yeah, using gay as an insult bullied. to describe you for liking a movie. This is my last review, 10 out of 10, left by Lauren Schroeder. Margaret Schroeder. Um, and it's called Blart Side of the Moon. Now, this is something I really want to tell you about. 
They left this. Don't get me wrong. This is a terrible movie. The only reason to watch it is when it's on mute and is synced up with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Trust me, that's an experience. And everyone has left reviews saying, watch this synced up to Dark Side of the Moon. It's the best. In the third year of Till Death Do Us Plot, Griffin McElroy listens to it synced up to right. Dark Side of the Moon. And he says a shockingly large portion of it actually syncs up yeah. right down to the song Money beginning when they walk into the convention center and there's money. all the products. And also money, later... Money, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's also later funny. when they're like firing guns, the gunshots lining up with the riff of... Yeah, syncs up shockingly well. I want to do it. Tim Bat, I think it was... maybe it was Guy. One of them also watched it whilst on acid and he said, didn't change it as much as you'd think. There's also lots of things that, like, feel like references to one. Like, when they're yelling out, uh, (laughs) when they're going off to charge and they yell out, Foot Locker! What does that mean? I don't know. When he's getting angry at her about Lane and he's like, Lane? Chicken Chow Lane? I think this is just Kevin James's shitty sense of humor because there was also a line... I actually saw this in the trivia. Let me bring it up because I saw it in the trivia and I was like, wow, what a good example of how shit his sense of humor is. His sense of humor seems to be to just say something. It's like to make some vague pun or like reference to something. That is his sense of humor. Here it is. When Paul says, is it hot in here or did I order my uniform from Rochester big and humid? This is a reference to Rochester, New York, which is a very humid city. And it used to have a store called Rochester big and tall. So his joke was Rochester big and humid. What? Like, that's it. It's a humid town, and they have a store that has it. It's big and tall. Right. Yeah. It's just... It's just a perfect example. Its place in the story is he's doing an icebreaker joke. Yeah. Um. That... Oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. I do want to talk about this. What? I'll, I'll lead into it. He was doing an icebreaker joke Um. that was bad, and then nobody laughs at it. And, like, correct, nobody should have laughed at that joke. But you definitely don't need as hyper-specific a joke. Like, the audience should be able to get the joke, and we just don't think it's funny. Not, like, a what. But that speech as well, like, is him trying to desperately talk about, like, what makes security guards and police officers valid? And all of it is things like, when your grandma needs help crossing the road, you know who to call. When that little boy taps on your leg and says, where's my mother? That's when I know this job is... All of these things that he lists, none of them need to be done by people with guns. Yeah. None of them are good cases for why there should be a security officer or a police officer. 100% agreed. They're cases of how there just should be an employee. These are all things that could be done by a person. I really, really hated that speech where he's like, security guards are good because they do things nothing related to security, but they also have weapons. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was all of my reviews. What did you think of Paul Blart Mall Cup 2? What's um, your review? What's your rating? Well, I mean, look, this movie's bad. Like I said, though, I think it actually kind of... I think it tried harder than Paul Blart Mall Cup 1, which mostly just wanted to be sad and didn't spend enough time having fun. Like, this movie, I feel like they were trying to have fun. It's so weird and it's so awful, but it's, like, distinct in that way. And I kind of I kind of enjoyed it, not in a way that would make me say it's good or that I even really had a good time watching it, but I would watch it again for, like, a fun, bad movie night. I don't know. I think it's, like, a 3.5. I think it's nice. pretty bad and nonsensical, but it's not the worst we've seen, and it's like a movie. Nice. I'm going to give it 
I, yeah, I'm getting confused because I'm not only just like ranking it like a normal film anymore, I'm ranking it against the other films that we've watched and how insufferable it was or how enjoyable it was. Like the way that I perceive these films has changed over time because now my brain is warped. Yeah. And when it's not an insufferable experience, I'm like, wow, that was really good. We're 42 movies in. We're... It's no longer, now the majority of movies we watch are these movies. Yeah. So are we grading on a curve? (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. But I'm going to give it a 3.2 feels natural. Because it was a movie, there was some moments that I I was engaged Mm. and there were bits that made me laugh, not because it was funny, but because it was stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. So on in in. As a bad movie, it was an enjoyable time. <laughs> Could I watch it every Thanksgiving for the rest of my life? No. <laughs> no. I wouldn't. This is bad and slow and weird, uh, but, you know, every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> it's solid 3.2 from me. Nice. Well, that was Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. So don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter under Rate Descend Pod. You can also follow us on our personal social medias. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at michelle.stclair. And I'm on Insta as Abigail J. Ward. And please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. We beg of you. It it It's really good for promoting like us in the charts. Yeah, so, so please... if you love us, drop us a review. If you if don't, you, yeah. we'll know. Because you didn't drop us a fucking review. Wait, let's have a moment where we um, um, do a little bit of emotional manipulation. Yeah, or like straight up bullying. Please. Oh, Oh, please. It'd be so good of you if you left a review. And now we've guaranteed that they will and that they'll be one star. (laughs) What are we watching next week, Michelle? Next week we are watching Getaway has Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez. Oh, boy. We've, we've had a string of, like, notables and real weird politi- political fuckery. I think this marks the beginning of another era where these movies are just straight up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'll see that bitch. Yeah. But he's like a little bitch next time. Uh, <laughs>